Hello, this is Stephanie Aragon, and welcome to my Critical Family History Podcast. In this podcast, I will be interviewing my father, Anthony Aragon, in order to learn a little bit about his experience growing up in the school system in the U.S., Um, in the late 50s, early 60s, into the 70s. Um, I encourage you to check out the description of this podcast where you will see three written pieces as references. It's one thing to learn about social studies um, history in the U.S. It's another to hear from a family member their true lived experiences. Um, One of the references is an article, Our Kids Aren't Dropping Out, They're Being Pushed Out, Um, In this podcast, my father shares some examples of microaggressions as described in this article, um, like when a store worker ignored and refused to help my grandma Martinez um, because she had darker skin. Um, I also reference the book Social Studies, Literacy, and Social Social Justice in the Common Core Classroom. Um, this is a wonderful book, and you can see some examples of my father as a child, a, attempting to connect his prior knowledge to his learning, as described in Chapter 5 of this book. Um, he describes that he's good at deductive reasoning, which sometimes brought to light holes in knowledge that are created by a history he was taught in school, which was only about white Americans. For example, he questioned if English white people discovered everything, then why do a lot of these places have Spanish names, like the Strait of Juan, Juan de Fuca, for example? Um, I also referenced the book Black Ants and Buddhists by Mary Cowie. Um, In chapter eight of this book, she describes that the reality um, of social studies and history education is that much of what passes for history in elementary classrooms would be more accurately categorized as historical myths. Um, These are oversimplified, sanitized, domesticated little stories out of context. And this is highlighted by my father's account He was born in 1955 and grew up in many towns and schools across America. Um, I appreciated getting to know his history and my family history more, and I hope that you enjoy listening. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to just ask you a few questions. Would you mind telling me about the place or places you grew up? Sure. I was uh, born uh, near Denver at Fitzsimmons Hospital Mm -hmm. and. Mom and dad were visiting Denver, and uh, mom was nine months pregnant, so she had me there. And uh, we lived, uh, he was in the Air Force, and we lived in Arizona. And then in uh, 58, he transferred to England, and so we went to England uh, when I was probably like three and a half. Wow. Maybe four. Spent a year there, and uh, we had... uh, we came back, and I spent uh, probably a year again in Arizona again, and then we moved to Maine. Wow. And then um, I probably had a bit of an, a British accent because I remember the first time I went trick-or-treat, I, you know, can I have some candy, please? And <laughs> I had a whole uh, huge sack of candy that, that, went, that first time I went trick-or-treating. That's really funny. And uh, so I loved Maine. You know, that's where I went to uh, first grade through fifth grade. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the cooks there cooked everything wonderful, and I ate twice as much as any other kid there because I loved their food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still skinny, but I ate that much. And then, um, then we moved to Arkansas, and uh, well, I guess while I was in Maine, that's the first time I remembered seeing a, a black person. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, he was a black officer on base. Oh, you know, and then, uh, but I remember playing with a black kid when I was in, um, when I was like one and two, mm -hmm. the dad. but in Maine, they don't have too many uh, black people. Yeah. And, uh, then we, you know, I was in Arkansas. Then there was a whole bunch of black people. So, oh, so there's more. And then, you yeah. know, I had a black babysitter and I liked her. And then, um, uh, grandma talked grandpa into having me stay over there for like, uh, the summer. And then suddenly I couldn't make it back. So I had to, uh, go, I had to attend school there. My what, mom was pissed off. Yeah. Where were you in Arkansas? Uh, Blytheville, Arkansas, okay. in sixth grade. So I, I spent the half of seventh grade in Colorado, Manzanola. Mm. And then they picked me up on their way to North Dakota, where dad was transferred to Minot Air Force Base. Mm. So I finished off seventh grade there. Mm. And then uh, got to about the junior year there. And then we transferred to uh, Beale Air Force Base in Northern California. And I finished off my senior year of high school down there. In wow, North only your senior year. Wheeland, wow. and uh, then I did a couple years in uh, Yuba College off of Yuba City there, junior college, and um, and then I uh, spent like uh, then I went transferred over to Chico State because they had they could do my computer science degree. Yeah, and my dad got transferred to Louisiana, and I said, "Bye, I'm not going to Louisiana. <laughs> I'm staying here in California." Yeah, and then uh, what was your question? Is that though? Yeah, I was just asking about like the neighborhood you grew up in, your school, um, and it sounds like it's very different uh, the way you grew up than how mom grew up because mom grew up in kind of one place and one neighborhood for the most part, and you kind of grew up in lots of different schools and lots of different places. Um, you talked a little bit about the differences in your schools and about um, in Maine there was mostly like white kids, and then. Uh, when you went to Arkansas, um, it w there was black kids there. Would you talk a little bit more about um, the, that experience and that transition? Uh, well, I I, uh, I didn't like it because, you know, all my friends were up there in, in Maine, and here I was, you know, I'm kind of a loner anyway. Yeah. So I'm there, and the, the people there, you know, the cooks, some of what they cook, they cook some green stuff, and they slopped it on my, you know, on my uh, tray. And, yeah. So I don't like the food. I don't like anything. Oh, no. Is that when you stayed with, like, the aunt who was? Oh, no, no, no. And then, so I was sixth grade, so I was with mom and dad, and we are in Arkansas. Okay. And so I really didn't, uh, uh, there was, like, a bunch of uh, bullfrogs that were, you know, always hopping up and down the road, and you'd see them flattened by cars, or you'd see their carcass. You could throw oh, them as yeah. Frisbees. And uh, so, you know, like, you know, I spelled herself out like Tom Sawyer down there in, in Arkansas. Because, well, look at this, you know. Yeah. Um, so as far as our family history, would you speak a little bit about where our family is from and how they came to the U.S.? Uh, sure. Uh, I guess they were uh, in the 1500s. They were in Mexico City in Mexico. And uh, then they traveled around uh, 1598 or 1610. They went, they went to Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. and uh, soldiers, and uh, some of them married Pueblo Indians, and then some of them brought their wives. And so uh, so most of our, uh, our family is up there in, uh, I would say, 60 miles northeast of Santa Fe, along the pretty much the Santa Fe Trail. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I grew up there. Uh, my, uh, 
my mom and dad went to Mexico to visit it, you know, and I was off in college and, mm-hmm. and they had a hard time understanding people and, and people had a hard time understanding them until a university student told them that they were speaking 17th century Spanish. Oh. Because Santa Fe is pretty kind of closed up. And so like uh, mom and dad didn't have a Spanish word for light bulb or television or anything. Oh, interesting. So they said that. So they finally caught on to that. But, uh, and I remembered my, my grandma, yeah, I saw a little piece of paper. When her parents died, she inherited uh, a thousand acres of land. Mm-hmm. And then her brother inherited a thousand head of sheep, something like that. But then he didn't, in the newspaper, you know, she was married to my, my grandpa, Benancio Aragon. He already had like a thousand acres of land already. So he, she said, well, I already got land. I, you know, I'd rather have the sheep. So she traded with her brother. So she got the sheep, and then you got the land, and um, up there. And if you ever saw that uh, a movie, um, the Pixar cartoon, where they have the big fluffy sheep, and then someone grabs his leg and shaves him, mm. so he's bald, he's all cold. Oh no! That's pretty much our family back there, because they would just <laughs> grab Wait. all the sheep and shave them. Okay, so that's what they would do. They would shave all yeah. the sheep, and in in, so, in Santa Fe. Yeah. Okay. And. Uh, so, um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, the, the so and, uh, and then my dad, when he retired from the Air Force, he went to uh, his uncle Romero and, and said, hey, can I borrow, buy back some of that land of my grandma? Yeah. So, he bought back a square mile. And so, then I have, uh, but me and my six brothers, we, uh, we inherited it. So, I have probably like wherever that comes out to be like 95 acres of that land. Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of like high chaparral. You probably need... Uh, all that acreage grow a couple of sheep because it seems to dry out. It seems to be drier there than it was back in the olden days. So yeah, I think cool. we visited there once. Yeah, and uh, and I always kind of was so we're along that Santa Fe Trail and it's pretty, pretty close, you know, where they grew up. I can imagine my ancestors watched all the you know the uh, pioneers from Ohio and stuff going down there and going to California. Mm. And uh, at first I said, "Why the heck, the heck do they stay there?" And then why don't they go to California too? Because you know, to me, until I landed in California, and I found out I had hay fever and you know spring allergies like crazy, and then oh. I realized, "Oh, that's why." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it was a good environment for yeah, them. Good environment. So, and uh, and then my um, my mom, you know, she's uh, they kind of there. She said her answers are more. They like to roam around a lot, and I think they like to roam around. She said they roamed around on the wagons, and they'd follow the buffalo, mm. and they'd shoot them. And would so, um, Grandma Cora. Um, so, what was her family background again? Uh, Spanish too, but from the same area. Yeah, Spanish and then the Pueblo Indians. You yeah, say? and then she told me that her grandpa or great grandpa Herrera, I forgot was, back when. Um, we became citizens when uh, New Mexico was taken by the United States about 1845 mm. and became a, a part of the United States. And uh, shortly after that, the, the, the land records in Santa Fe mysteriously burned down. So all the, the Spaniards, mm. all their property rights suddenly were kind of went up in smoke. Oh, no. And so, uh, and for my mom, she said uh, her grandpa, great-grandpa Herrera was, up there in, in northern uh, New Mexico, just below the San Gabriel Crystal Mountains. And I've been over there, and it's like the grass is like two feet high because all the snow's mm-hmm. melting out there. And that's what actually feeds and creates the Rio Grande River and that flows down there. Oh, wow. And so there's a lot of green. And she was saying that um, 
way the story goes is a lot of white people came in and they were kind of uh, creating a ruckus and a lot of Spaniards would, would have, want to have a war with them and fight them. And then uh, Herrera was all, it's all, it's all live in peace, let's live together, you know, you've got to try to get together and stuff. And so she said she didn't know who, the people didn't know whether it was uh, the Hispanics are mad at her grandpa or the whites did it, but someone uh, burned down his house. Mm. And um, he and his wife got out, but they had six children and they all, they all died. Wow. And so he, uh, kind of heartbroken, he left. He just left uh, his farm there and he went to Wagon Mound and got another uh, land grant in the United States. And, and Wagon Mound is really poor um, land there and uh, put up another homestead and he raised another six kids. Wow. So that's what happened. Uh, so wait, so all six kids and what about his wife? Um, she, she survived, but okay. she was uh, she was never the same after that. She was kind of crazy with okay. grief. So. Yeah, that's really, really sad. So just to make sure I understand, it so, so it sounds like um, he had some really like useful land, beautiful very land, valuable, yeah. very, very valuable land, and then out of suspicious happenstance, the records were burnt down, and then his house was burnt down, so he had to leave? Yeah, that's, that's a sort of separate thing, but, you know, like all of uh, New Mexico was affected because now, you know, the whites are coming in and then there was no records of what land belonged to Spaniards really. So there was kind of like, it was like a really musical chairs and they had to shift it out. But on, mm. but on top of that, you know, when they get down to this Northern California, there's not no land records in this little whites and the Spanish are fighting over, well, this is my land. This is your land. So they're kind of like, mm -hmm. they're kind of dickered over. And so he was like casualty of that. Mm, wow. That's really sad. And could you remind me how, what side, can you take the steps of how that person's related to like you and me? So on, oh, uh, on grandma's side of it? Oh, grandma Cora, my, yeah, yeah. my mom, mm -hmm. she's Martinez. Mm -hmm. And then uh, somewhere up there, her, gra her grandpa is Herrera. So. Oh, so her grandfather. So your great grandfather. Yeah. Okay. So my great great grandfather. Yeah. Okay. There might be one more great, but I'm not sure. <laughs> well, thank you for explaining that. That's really interesting. Um, could you talk next a little bit about um, your experience with school, which I'm super curious about because you went to so many. Um, so that's like a really big topic. So I guess we can narrow it down a little bit. Um, would you maybe think back to a time where you either felt seen and like appreciated by a teacher or not seen or not appreciated by a teacher? Um so, like, a, a teacher seeing you for, like, who you are or appreciating or valuing you as a student or a teacher, like, not really connecting or caring uh, or seeing you? Um, yeah, I guess the first time would probably be, like, in uh, fourth or fifth grade in math class. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and so I was listening to te math teacher, and she was asking questions, and, and she wouldn't answer, so I'd, tell, I'd raise my hand and give the answer. And then after I realized, after a while she'd ask, she would she wouldn't. Uh, I got I got tired of answering, so I just wouldn't answer anymore. And she should ask all the other students. And then when she no one answered, then she looked at me, Tony, and I'd have to give the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so you wouldn't raise your hand, but she knew that you still knew. Yeah, and and when she got tired of asking all the students, she said, oh, "I know someone who knows Tony." <laughs> That's interesting. So you were really good at math. I guess so. So it was kind of funny. And then. Um, 
Well, yeah, was, I had a hard time actually starting off because, you know, I, I just hit first grade and I never had uh, anything. And I had to find out that all the kids knew ABCs but me. Mm. And then I was looking at my, my um, record there and it said I missed like 100 days of school. First wow. grade. I don't know if I can ask my mom why that is. But uh, I remember having to do catch up and I, and I caught pretty fast, you know, as he Dick said this, Jay, Sally said that, and reading those books. And, getting, and I remember at the end of first grade, the principal, Precythe, came up to me and said, uh, hey, Tony, do you want to stay in first grade or you want to go on to second? So I had a choice. Oh. They, knew, <laughs> they knew I was a quick learner, but they, I, I had really rushed through and tried to catch up with it. Wow. And I said, well, I'll go on to second. So then yeah. I caught him. And then uh, the other great uh, teachers I had was, uh, let's see, I was fifth grade, then I went to seventh grade. Uh, I like the I like the history teacher. He he I, I I we did a little play in Man for President, and he thought I was pretty funny. Oh, I was yeah. very quiet, but uh, I really didn't like history. But uh, and then uh, in uh, I'd say eleventh grade, there was um, a science teacher, and she he was very funny. Yeah. Solvent is the one that does the work, you know, and he was he was always making these jokes, you know, about Was he from solid, somewhere else? He was a he, he would just throw in these I think he was probably German, but he'd throw in these accents, he could do them very well. Oh. So you know the salute and the solution and what dissolves the other and so, oh. so I'd listen to him and he made me laugh. And so I yeah, it was it was uh funny. But uh I never um had an interest so much in school but I, I did well enough that I didn't have to yeah. worry. That's good. <laughs> but you did well enough that you didn't have to worry too much. Yeah. Um and then um uh I took a national aptitude test my senior year in, in, in California and I scored ninety nine point seven in uh, deductive reasoning. Wow. Which means out of a uh, thousand kids there'd be three kids that were up there. And and then I was looking at my math score, and it was like just barely above average. When I mm. knew that it was supposed to be really high, really high, but it was a big long test they'd given us, and I went, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't really know that much math. I just kind of deduce what the things are, and I just figure it out later." But yeah. So it was kind of like, "Oh, I have the one skill." So. so you reason through math. And then I, you know, I, but no teacher ever said to me, you know, at at the California, "Hey, go on to college, do this." They didn't. You know, I had a counselor, and I talked to him about, well, what do we do? You know, he didn't really have any idea, too. Yeah. And so then uh, right out of when I graduated from high school, I had a summer job at the peach cleaning station for a Del Monte. Yeah. Picking up those peaches, and he was driving the, the forklift at the Del Monte. <laughs> so yeah. So I thought, well, I guess I can't really, you know, he's driving. The, I guess he's not much to show me anyway. So. Yeah. So you decided to go back to school then? So I decided to go back to school, and uh, I, I went to take college. And I need some job that's pretty easy because you know, I like lazing around. And I'll take this computer science. looks pretty easy. looks like I can just goof oh off gosh. doing that. Is that why you chose it? Yeah, that's why I chose it because I thought it was like George Zessie. You can push the button. And then I went, oh, my gosh, i got to do all the thinking for this machine. i got to crunch it out. <laughs> and it was like, the, you know, it was probably good that I did that. But uh, either that or I was going to go. I, I liked physics. Oh, you of, did. But uh, but I chose computer science, and it's probably a good thing because it was probably fit my strength. And you know, I um, thanks. Didn't, yeah. didn't have the aspirations or anything. But. So you but you found it interesting still. Oh, computer science. Yeah. No, I just I, so once I did, I thought I guess I better stick with it. But you liked physics a lot. Yeah, but uh, yeah. 
but uh, but uh, but I had so many uh, computer classes I had to take that I took a couple of physics and and then uh, chemistry. You know, I was, oh, was going to get some but chemistry. Was, oh God, it was so boring to me. Yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah. what made you like physics? Oh, I was learning about the uh, the unknown, making discoveries. I was always mm. I was always into that. So. Yeah, I was into that too. Always mm. growing up. And Fred really liked physics. That was his first area of study. And then he had a, a really, really bad physics professor. And then he changed but to then, computer science. Um, but then, you know, uh, but then it was always seemed to be a lot of math. And I was like, <laughs> um, So since you went to so many different schools, I'm curious about um, your social studies and history in school. And... Um, uh, if you saw representation in like yourself and your family in the history of textbooks? No, no, I would say it was all the white man, this, the white man, that. And, um, but I got kind of, you know, um, confused because I would say, oh, they discovered this, uh, the San Juan Islands here off of Seattle. And like, why are they called, why do they have a Spanish name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, so wherever area I go, there's a lot of Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow they, they, they just talked about the white soldiers that did this. So I was, I was kind of confused what um, the Spaniards had done anything at all. So that was Yeah, kinda... that is that does make sense. As someone who's really good at deduction, you're thinking we're learning about this white history, but there's a lot of Spanish names, and how did that come to be? If the predominant history is just of like the white person, and then and then there was uh, when they would they talk about explorers and they would they had translators and talk to Indians, and it was a lot of they would use uh, they would talk to them either in French mm-hmm. or they would talk to them in Spanish because mm-hmm. the Indians knew French and Spanish. Mm-hmm. So so when they first met the white men, they they had a common language. They knew French or Spanish. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's kind of curious. <laughs> <laughs> How did they know French or Spanish? So well, so that was curious. Yeah, that is really curious. Um, so you're saying that your history books a lot were about um, mostly about white history. Um, and you talked a little bit about like the Dick and Jane books that you read when you were really young and those being about white kids um, as well. Um, let's see. When did you like first become aware of race as a kid? Um. Well, probably I, I knew it when I was in Maine, and uh, well, I, I kind of was aware that when we traveled back to during the summers to Colorado to visit my grandparents mm-hmm. and uh, on their farm in, in Manzanola, and uh, there were different people than than up there. And my grandpa Benancio, he didn't speak any English at all, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 it seemed like uh, this would be. Um, I'd be like, uh, I guess I was ten and younger, and, it, and and they probably were there at that farm only for fifteen years. You know, they probably bought it five years before I was born. Mm-hmm. And you look around; they had gas lamps hanging around, and they had electricity, but it was like electricity was like foreign to them. Because mm-hmm. when they lived out in the uh, Santa Fe and the Prairie mm-hmm. out there, there was no electricity, so you had to use gas lighters, and it was really like um, cowboy days. So they had. That's really interesting. So for them, the telephone and all that was kind of new for them. But, you know, so I'd go down there and I was, geez, it looked like, you know, like an old West. Yeah. So that's when you kind of became aware of race. About how old were you when you would visit them? 
I was like, uh, I visit them every year, but you know, first, second grade, third. But about third and fourth, I realized, oh, that these are different than the people like in Maine, where I'm, you know, yeah. Right there. And then my mom would, you know, when I was like fourth grade, says, I'm not going to let you in the house unless you uh, speak some Spanish to me because you, you, oh. you don't know any Spanish. Well, they would speak Spanish when they did. Mom and dad didn't want us to know what they were talking about. And oh, so, really? So, and then everybody spoke, you know. So I was like, well, there's nobody else speaks. How can they? So I'd say, open la puerta. So, because I knew puerta was door, but I, was, you know, yeah. I really didn't know that much. But so. <laughs> so you'd say, open the door. Um so it's really interesting that grandma did want you to learn Spanish. Um, so let's see. Did you feel, did you ever feel different or did you just feel like um, all the other kind of white kids in school? Uh, I, I felt the same, you know, mm -hmm. to the kids. And there was, and there was a couple of black kids, I you know, my friend in Maine too. Yeah. But uh, that was like fifth grade. And, uh, but I don't, you know, I sort of wasn't until I was uh, in California that, that I sort of got the sense that see, people were kind of looking at me as different, you know. Mm. And then I was feeling uh, kind of maybe even some, you know, prejudice against me. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I didn't understand why they were doing that. But yeah. I treated them the same. But, yeah. And uh, I remember one time when I was uh, eighth grade or something, I went to my grandma at a, at a store. And she's very dark-skinned, Grandma Martinez. Mm -hmm. I never met her because she died. And we waited a long time for the sales lady to, to get to her, and uh, she kept on taking other customers, even that arrived later. And uh, my grandmother finally left. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, she didn't want to sell her or, or you know, service her. So that was, you know, I was, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I was off outside of my grandma. You know, we, I thought yeah. she, she was wrong, but she was, yeah. was a good. And were you aware of, like, kind of why she was being treated differently? Yeah, because she was like, she just said, you know, you're, Dark skinned, and you're you know not uh, not my kind. You're not my you know. Did she say anything, or did she just ignore her? Just ignore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So growing up, uh, someone who like you have pretty light skin, and you grew up in a lot of different neighborhoods with, uh, and you have a family that. Um, speaks Spanish and has like a native Spanish and Mexican background. I'm curious about kind of your racial identity and how you see yourself. Um, I, see, I see myself as caught in between there. Yeah. So stuck. Because even when I go to, uh, you know, when I went to Colorado and New Mexico there and they'll say, Tony, you're kind of light skinned there. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, I'm not Spanish enough. And then, you know, yeah. and then, and then, and then I go to, uh, if I go somewhere else and then they'll look at me and say, oh, you're, you're not, uh, you're Spanish or something. Yeah, okay. But I've never, you know, I'm kind of stuck in between and I don't know what uh, to do about that. I said, I'm bees. I don't really know what to say about that. So Yeah. Um, let's see. I think that I have a similar experience where mom is Irish and so I think all of us, I think by society, are just kind of seen as white. And it's interesting and also hard. I think in school, I always chose to do posters about like Spanish history and about like your side of the family, mostly, I think, because I was so curious and I wanted something to identify with. But I've never spoken Spanish and I feel a little bit disconnected from that side. And um, that like I don't 
know if I can like fully claim it or if so it'll feel like fake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So you want to go visit them and see them and, and then, you know, I go, okay, let's see. But you know, then, then, then I see them interact, you know, and I said, Oh, I see a little bit of my, you know, uh, my trickery and the jokes I make, I see that a little bit in them. So you know, I can yeah. see that in, in, uh, so, uh, but uh, you're right. I, I feel kind of, uh, Dislocated from from my ethnic heritage there, and in fact, uh, it got so bad one time. I was I was working at this gas station long hours, mm-hmm. and uh, there was this Ford um, truck there, and it said uh, Ford uh, Ranchero. Mm-hmm. But you know, then I laughed. Well, that's Ranchero. That's how you're supposed to say it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I knew. Oh God, I'm totally lost. But that was kind of that's funny, Ranchero. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Do you think you would ever try to learn Spanish? Uh, that would be nice if I could, but I, I sort of felt like, you know, mom and I would have to, like, you know, go over to Spain or Mexico and just spend, like, a month there. Then I could, you know, get immersed in it. And, and that, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, But then you get kind of, oh, God, I should already know this. And it kind of, yeah. I took a couple classes, and so, uh, but it's like, uh, you know, then you go and talk to everybody in English afterwards and, uh, so, you know, Keep a track of it. So. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to pass down to your grandkids as far as like culture and identity? Oh, that uh, that everybody's a a person and be nice to people and all races and everybody's got something to say and, and uh, you know treat everybody nice. That's that's my kind of thing. Yeah. We have a pretty, I think, mixed race family. Um, my partner is from Kenya. Um, uh, Tito, Rebecca's partner, is from Mexico. Um, and I think your background and mom's background are mixed as well. Um, is there ever a time where you felt like when you were first with mom, any sort of like negativity towards you as a couple? Um, maybe because, you know, mom's uh, very pretty at the time and, and young and I, and I think guys would look jealously at me, you know, cause that yeah. was, and that was, uh, and, uh, but that was fine. Mom did tell me one time that, uh, I guess the guy she worked with, you know, at the, at the convalescent home before she worked, mm-hmm. was said, gee, I thought you were going to, you know, have a boyfriend of, of your own race, you know, and oh, so, wow. so she didn't really like him for saying that, but she, yeah. and then, uh. And then I had a very good friend back when I was um, 18, uh, right through a senior year in, in, high, in high school. There was Doug Campbell, and he and I graduated at the same time, and then we worked at the gas station. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uh, his grandpa was a uh, uh, KKK Grand Wizard. Wow. And and Doug, was uh, he's the least racist guy I know. Yeah. And we were friends, and... Um, he would even change uh, my work schedule so I could t- attend the computer class that I went to the college because I was working That's at nice. the same time. And he, one time he had to do this. He looked at the minority report on his uh, thing because it was like him and me and uh, Ron and another guy and another guy. Mm-hmm. And he says, God, we're, we're up there uh, 20% on, on usage of minorities in, you know, in, our, in, our, in our workforce here. And he was he was thinking for like a day and a half. It's who's a minority? He was... He couldn't think. <laughs> he didn't know. And then finally, the second day, he was laughing. He goes, Tony, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. He just thought you were a white guy. 
Um, yeah, and, and yeah, I guess so. Because I just, you know, talked to everybody. But also because he is like, he was friends with everybody. He talked to everybody. He's like the least racist guy. So he would, you know, he's generally that way. So mm -hmm. he, you know, I think he probably looks with uh, wonder and a little bit of probably, uh, you know, shame that his grandpa was that. My father and I continued talking for a couple of hours. And I talked to my mother for about an hour as well. Um, but I don't think I can have a four-hour-long podcast. Um, I do know that I will continue to talk to my parents about these things um, and to learn about their lived experience, their identities, and how that informs and affects mine. Um, I am so glad that this project and this podcast has um, enabled me to feel motivated to ask them these questions. And I encourage everyone else to talk to their parents as well um, and any family member and uh, to get to know their stories um, and to give them that voice. It's also very powerful to have these recorded stories. And I hope to continue to interview um, my parents and my father and my mother and to get to know them a bit more. Um, I encourage anyone listening to check out the references in the description um, for a bit of background on why I was asking these questions about my father's identity and lived experience um, and hearing about his experience with history and social studies growing up in the U.S. and the time that he did. Um, thank you so much for listening and I hope everyone has a wonderful day.